is the Lord's. Why? Because this earth is the Lord's. All of us, we live and move and have our being because the Lord gives us life, breath, and all things. If you have a talent and you have a job, or maybe you don't have the talents, but you're sticking to it because you have a job, that's all because of the Lord. And we have to learn how to be people who live where God gets first place. Have you ever borrowed something and kept it so long that you forgot that it wasn't yours to begin with? (laughs) Well, today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that you're probably doing that same thing to God. He's the one who has given you all you have, even the very breath in your lungs. Pastor Daniel encourages you to change your thinking. Remember that all you have is God's. You're just taking care of it. Then you'll live as a steward God made you to be. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Numbers, chapter 3, as he continues his message, The Special Work of the Levites. Listen, you need to give God your whole life. You need to learn how to give God the first fruits of everything. That when you wake up in the morning, rather than saying, I'm going to give all of my energy to my job, and if I got anything left over, which I normally don't, I'd give it to the Lord. You got to say, no, Lord, my life is yours, and I'm going to give some energy to my job because that honors you, and you've given me vocation as a job, but there's going to be gas in the tank for you. When I do my finance, I'm going to say, Lord, the first is yours, because it's all yours. You just let me get to play with 90% of it. Do you ever realize that? Like when it talks about a tie, that's a tenth. I love the fact that God only asked for a tenth. You know why? Because if it was any of us, we'd ask for like 50%, right? It's like the first 50% is mine. See, God's like, look, I want the first tenth is mine, and then you get to do what you want to do with 90, the other 90%. You know what's amazing about that? When you realize it's all the Lord, you're like, Lord, it's all yours. What do you want me to do with this? And God doesn't say that you have to never have anything. You don't get to enjoy it. It's not what it is. But we need to live our lives, not just financially, but with our gifts and the things that we're... When you say, Lord, my life is yours, how do you want to use it? Now, if you're like me, and you've already made mistakes in this area, I realize that unwinding a life that's lived where it's your own life, that takes a little time. But you have to make a plan to change that life. You have to say, look, I don't ever give God the first fruits of anything, Right? Just start by waking up tomorrow, and the first thing you do after you use the bathroom and get a cup of coffee is spend time with the Lord. Start there. You know why I say that? I remember what it was like when I first came to know Jesus, and I'm like, man, I'm just so busy, and my life's all out of order. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll pray before bed. You know what I call praying before bed? Sleeping. Right? Because you, you go to pray, you shut your eyes, and next thing you know, it's like the next morning. And you, and you didn't even get one sentence out, right? You didn't have any connection with the Lord. It was like, you shut your eyes, it's the end of the day, you're exhausted. And I once heard Charles Spurgeon, the great, the prince of preachers, maybe the most famous English preacher in history, 
right? He said, I will never look into the eyes of another man before I first look into the face of my Savior. That's a good word, isn't it? You give him the first fruits of your day. You say, Lord, I'm coming to you this morning. And then some of you are readers, you love to read. And what I've found is that as you start reading the scriptures in the morning, you start getting an appetite for the scriptures. So in the beginning, you read one psalm. And then before you know it, you're like, man, I read a whole book this morning. And I don't know where the time went because you develop an appetite for these things. But start there. Maybe you're looking at your finances and because you've never given God your first fruits and you never realize that your checkbook is the Lord, it's not yours. You look at your finances like, man, this is all messed up. How could I ever give God the beat? You have to start somewhere. You have to say, Lord, I'm going to start doing things differently. Again, it's not just finance. That's just one area of stewardship. It's our bodies, what we're passionate about, what we do with our time and our energy. So if you're like me, I remember when I got saved, it was so out of order. And, and I, would lo- I would love to say, hey, oh, yeah, God saved me and everything changed. And all of a sudden I became a great Christian man. And that's just not true. And that's still not true today. God's working on me. He's working on all of us. We're all growing. But you got to just take the next step. Lord, this is what you're laying. And I believe that in each one of our hearts right now, God is saying, I want you to make, I want you to give me the first fruits here. I want you to, and just take that step of faith and respond to Jesus And then let God do the next thing and say, Lord, I want to honor you with my finances. I want to honor you with my energy. I don't want to give all my energy to my job. I want to have gas in the tank to be able to serve you. Because I want to serve kids. I want to serve students. I want to greet people when they come to Crossroads. I want to go to Second Saturday. And I want to get involved in a mission trip. Whatever it is, you just got to start doing it. Because the first fruits is the Lord's. Why? Because this earth is the Lord's. All of us We live and move and have our being because the Lord gives us life, breath, and all things. If you have a talent and you have a job, or maybe you don't have the talents, but you're sticking to it because you have a job, that's all because of the Lord. And we have to learn how to be people who live where God gets first place. And I love what he says here, because he says, look, the Levites, they're mine. Why? In verse 13, because all the firstborn are mine. You know what what all means? All, that's right. You guys are Bible scholars. I love that about the Lord. God says what he means and he means. He says, look, it's all, it's mine. And he's like, so I'm taking the Levites. He references back to the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. He's like, the Levites are mine. They shall be mine. Why? Because I am the Lord. You know, I was thinking about that phrase today, the I am the Lord phrase. I believe that that, those four words, those are the words that change everything for us, don't they? That reality, I am the Lord. See, when God says that, that should cure our anxiety, that should cure our fear, that should strengthen and empower us. When he says, I am the Lord. And so when God asks us to do something that he knows is a step of faith for us, and he says, listen, I am the Lord, we should be like, okay, well, he is the Lord, so he's got that. But oftentimes we're so used to reading, I am the Lord, that it's kind of, we just yawn and go on to the next verse. When he says, I'm the Lord, we should be like, bam. You know what I mean? I mean, you don't have to say bad. That's the way I would say it. Maybe you'd say some other word. You know what I mean? It's just like, booyah, like exclamation point. There it is. He's the Lord. And I think for each one of us, we have to learn how to just put that on the end of our lives. He's the Lord. He's the master. He's the creator, the sustainer. We talked about it on Sunday, didn't we? That he's holy. 
and that he deserves all eternal praise, and he's the redeemer of the nations. We talked about all this on Sunday. He's the Lord. And the Lord loves you and I. And the Lord is doing a work of transformation in all of our lives, and not only in our lives, but what? Through our lives. Because transformed people transform people. That's how it goes. Our lives are in his hands. Not one of us is going to live one breath longer than God has prescribed for us. And we want to live those lives well. We want to get to the end of our days and say, God, that was a God thing. What a crazy, wild, extravagant, nuts life I've lived. But you know what happens? If we're not careful, life gets away from us, doesn't it? If we don't keep a jealous guard over it, it gets away years, decades, get away from us. And if you're here today and you're like, man, my life's getting away from me. You need to just come back and say, look, you're the Lord. I I give it to you afresh today. I don't have anything left in the tank to honor you with. My whole life, will you help reorder my life and give me the baby steps to change this by your spirit? He deserves the first fruits. Why? Because they're his anyway. It's just a matter if we're stealing or not. Now, look at verse 14. We get the census commanded. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses at the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi. By their father's houses, by their families, you shall number every male from a month old and above. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. Now, if you remember the other censuses, or maybe it would be sensai would be the proper way to, it's not, but it just sounded fun anyway. You know, I like words, I make them up as we go, so it's fun. Everybody else was numbered from 20 years and above. Now it's one month. Why? Because the other census was about people who are going to be going to battle. And this is about people who are going to be serving and set apart for the work of the tabernacle. So it wasn't about fitness for service. It was, this is the number of people that we have who are going to be able to get into the service. So it's unique in that way. Now look at what it says. We start verse 16. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. These were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families, Libni and Shimei. And the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram, Azizahar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the sons of Merari by their family, Mali and Mushi. So if you have twin boys, they is good names right there. Mali and Mushi. Or if you're looking for a good Chinese food dish, mushi pork. Anyway, that's not in your Bibles. I'm sorry. It's dinner time. These are the families of the Levites by their father's houses. Verse 21. From Gershon came the family of the Libnites and the family of the Shimites. These are the families of the Gershonites. Those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from one month old and above Of those who were numbered, there were 7,500. So the Gershonites, 7,500. Okay, next. And the leader of the father's house, oh, verse 23. The families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle of westward. And the leader 
of the father's house of the Gershonites were Elizaphat, the son of Lael. And the duties of the children of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting included the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle and the altar and their cords, according to all the work relating to them. Now, so think about this. The Gershonites, there's 7,500 males over one year of age. They were to camp to the westward of the tabernacle, which it would be in between Judah and the tabernacle itself, right? And their job was to deal with the structure of the tabernacle. Notice what it says. The tabernacle of meeting, the tabernacle, the tent in its covering, the screen for the door, the screen of the door of the court, the hangings on the court, which are all around the tabernacle, and the altar and their cords according to the work relating to them. So they were involved with the structure of the tabernacle of meeting, all of its doors, and the covering of the courtyard around it. So the tribe of Gershon, they had a very specific area of ministry, right? The tent, the curtains, the doors, and the courtyard around it. Now, in verse 27, it says, From Kohath came the family of the Amramites, the family of the Isserites, and the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Uzielites. These were the families of the Kohathites. So what you see here is if you want to talk about your family, you just take your last name and you put ites on the end of it, and you have your own people. So my family is the Fuscoites. <laughs> So when you see Lynn and the kids, you say, oh, the Fuscoites are here. So look at what it says next. It says, according to the number of all the males from one, mo one month old and above, they were 8,600 keeping charge of the sanctuary. The families of the children of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. And the leaders of their father's house of the families of the Kohathites were Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. Their duty included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary, with which they ministered in the screen and all the work relating to them. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight over those who keep charge of the sanctuary. So now, the Kohathites, they were 8,600 males. They camped on the south side of the tabernacle. That would be between Reuben and the tabernacle itself. Now, the Kohathites... You'll notice that this is the tribe that Moses and Aaron were actually from, the Amramites, Moses and Aaron's father. And they were given all of the most important furniture in. They have the Ark of the Covenant and everything that was in the holy place and the Holy of Holies. So the Kohathites, what's interesting is today the descendants of Kohath have the last name Cohen, which is a pretty common name. And if you know anything about the desires to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem, you'll find that people who are of all Jewish descent with the last name Cohen, they are being trained in Jerusalem right now to be able to facilitate the potential of a rebuilding of a temple. Now, I realize that opens a big can of worms, especially given what's going on in Israel and Palestine right now, but I thought it was worthy to be mentioned. So they are responsible for all of the keeping charge of the actual sanctuary. So if the Gershonites had all of the structure, 
the Kohathites had all of the furniture on the inside, the most sacred pieces of the furniture. And notice in verse 32, Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight over those who kept charge of the sanctuary. So Aaron's son, Eliezer, gets authority over all the Levites, and he's of the tribe of the Kohathites. So next, in verse 33, from Merari, that's is the third son of Levi, came the family of the Malites and the family of the Mushites. These were the families of Merari, verse 34, and those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from one month old and above were 6,200. The leader of the father's house of the families of Merari were Zuriel, the son of Abahel, these were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle, and the appointed duty of the children of Mary included the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, and all the work relating to them, and the pillars of the court all around with their sockets and their pegs. Verse 38. Moreover, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east before the tabernacle of meeting were Moses, Aaron, and his sons keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who came near was to be put to death. All who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord by their families, all the males from one from a month old and above were 22,000. So Merari, 6,200 males. They camped to the north in between Dan and the tabernacle itself. And their particular charge was the, per, the frames, the posts, and the bases and the crossbars of the actual tent and all of the auxiliary materials. So you see, everybody gets a little bit of a different piece. Now, in verse 38, you're like, well, who ends up getting to camp to the east? And of course, it's Moses and Aaron and his sons. So although they were from that tribe of Kohath, they end up sitting on their own because of their position. And then, of course, you get the summary statement in verse 38, some total 22,000. Now, if you do your math, you'll find that there's a 300 difference than the actual number. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. Some people would say in verse 28, there is a scribal error. Other people would say that the that in that day they weren't as con they were much more comfortable with rounding off numbers than we are, and so there's a lot of ways to argue it, what it is and how it works. But I did want to bring that up because some people say, "Oh, what's up with that?" And you have to realize that we have things like we find out that 70 people go from Jacob's family to Egypt, and in the Book of Acts they tell us that 75 people came. People are like, "Oh, I can't believe the Bible," but you always end up finding that there's reasons for all of this. So it is unique that. In the numberings, there's a 300 number different. Some people would say that it's not including Aaron and Moses and their family and some of their servants. So there's a lot of different ways that people get at trying to explain it. So I figured I'd bring it up so that you had it. Now, going forward, look at what it says next. It says in verse 40, Then the Lord said to Moses, Number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above, and take the number and their names. And you shall take the Levites for me, I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites, instead of the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the Lord commanded him. 
And all the firstborn males, according to the number of names from a month old and above, of those who were numbered of them were 22,273. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one individually. You shall take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras, and you shall give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites, from the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave their redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, notice what happens here. Now the Levites are dedicated Right? So all the male Levites over the age of one month were regarded as the Lord's. And what you find here is, remember, the, the firstborn is meant to be the Lord. So they counted up all the firstborn from the children of Israel, and they found the number. And remember, the Levites were given in place of the firstborn. And what they ended up finding was that there was a shortfall. And so instead of the Lord being like, okay, well, there's a shortfall, so don't worry about it. He said, look, I want you to each put in the redemption price the shekel for the sanctuary, and I want you to give the money in place of the firstborn. So one of the things I love about this, if you think about it, what God is saying is he's saying, look, there are 273 shortfall, and I'll accept a substitute. And in this case, the substitute is money to be able to fund the cleaning, the fixing, and all the things that have to do with the temple. Now, if you've read your Bible at all, the idea that God would accept a substitute always pops up, doesn't it? Over and over and over again, you find that the Lord is willing to accept a substitute in certain cases. Like if you couldn't afford the normal sin offering, you can give two turtle doves. All these different things. And you know the ultimate example of a substitute is who? Jesus in the place of you and I. And so we end up where we started which is simply that God said, look, the debt that you have, you can't pay it. All of your attempts at good work, better work, more profound work, none of it can repay the debt that you owe. So I'm going to give a substitute in your place. I'm going to do this for you because you can't do it for yourself. Jesus is Throughout the Bible, you can find many instances where God accepts a substitute. In fact, Pastor Daniel pointed it out in today's study. You were reminded that God always provides a way to be right with Him. Ultimately, that happened when Jesus died and rose again. Jesus sacrificed Himself in your place because you couldn't make it right on your own. He loves you so much that He stood in the gap and became your substitute. Hey everybody, I want to invite you to join me in reaching people with the message that Jesus is real. 
Would you pray about partnering with us in the ministry of Jesus' Real Radio? Your support in this way helps us to keep sharing God's Word and helps us reach more and more people. Thank you for considering partnering. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. I'd love for you to be part of the Crossroads Community Church family, but I understand some of our listeners can't make it to the actual church building. If that's you, come join us online. We live stream our Sunday morning services at CrossroadsChurch.net. So grab a cup of coffee and join us wherever you are for our time of worship and teaching. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share about the second census of the Levites, which was focused on how many people could actually serve God in the tabernacle. You'll be reminded that the work that you do for the Lord doesn't save you, but through Jesus, God has rescued you so that you could serve Him with your life. Pastor Daniel will encourage you to serve God so that you can grow with Him. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Camp. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.